Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out therestingplacetampa.com. We're in the we're in part 2 of part 8. We're talking about the four horsemen, technically part 9, I don't know. Part 9, part 2 of the four horsemen. And I'm just going to give you a quick recap that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are all pictures. Say pictures. Because when God speaks, he, he speaks in picture. Okay, his language is picture. He wants to paint a picture for you. Uh, and these are all pictures of Christ coming forth in us. Why? Because the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation is the word, help me, anybody? Unveiling or someone got the Greek one. It's on the screen. It's the Greek word apocalypse. That's right. So it's the apocalypse of Jesus. It's the unveiling of Jesus. It's not the unveiling of the Antichrist. It's not the unveiling of the end times. It's the unveiling of Jesus. The whole thing. Okay. So using that model, the four horsemen unveil Jesus. Make sense? Logical? I think so too. So quickly, I'm going to recap what we talked about last week. We have the four. I'm going to list them for you. The four. Number one is a white horse carrying a bow without arrows. Our second one is a red horse with a rider carrying a sword. Then the third, we're going to talk about these two, a black horse with a rider carrying scales and a green horse with a rider named Death with Death's domain following him. Now the white horse, I talked about this last week, it's on our YouTube channel, is a picture of Christ's victory. White is a biblical picture of victory, okay? And it's Jesus' conquering love, that he doesn't fight with the weapons of the natural. He fights in the spirit. He conquers with a bow without arrows. He doesn't need the arrow. He just needs to show you, I am the conqueror. Amen? That's what the first horseman is. I went into depth detail last week. But the, the second one, the red horse and rider, is a picture of God's passion and power to take away the false peace of the earth and to empower us to walk in the ways of our new self. Okay? So these are just a couple of pictures. I'm going to dive into the third and the fourth tonight. Uh, that's all the recap I can do. Sorry, uh, because there's, I have a lot. I have a lot to say to you. Okay. Some of you have asked me, yes, this is actually going to be a book. So hang on for the book. If you can't take notes fast enough, that's cool. I'm going to throw a lot at you tonight. Okay. Look at your neighbor and say, you're fine. You can handle it. <laughs> you're okay. You can handle it. You can take it. All right. Let's read Revelation chapter 6, verse 5 through 6, okay? This is the lamb. Then he broke open the third seal. The lamb broke open the seal, the seven-sealed scroll. And I heard, that's John speaking, I heard the living creature call out, come forth. And behold, I saw a black horse right in front of me. And its rider was holding measuring scales. And I heard what seemed to be a voice from among the living creatures say, a small measure of wheat for a day's pay and three measures of barley for a day's pay. But don't harm the olive trees producing oil and the vines producing wine. What meaneth this? <laughs> Let's talk about it. We're going to go through the pictures because I told you when God speaks, he speaks in picture. Amen. So why a black horse? This is what I do. Just let you into my process. I sit there and say, Lord, why a black horse? And then he starts dro dropping other scriptures in my head that start making things make sense. It's called speaking from revelation, all right? This is a revelatory talk. It might stretch you. In fact, it probably will. And it's all a submission, okay? It's all a submission in humility. This is one offering, all right? This is what I believe to be absolutely true. There are people who disagree with me. I have friends who disagree with me. 
okay? Like one of them was at my house last night. We still had dinner. We, we love each other, and we disagree a lot about this book, okay? All right, so you and I can disagree and be friends. So why a black horse? Well, black is a biblical motif, a picture of night. It's the night season. It's used over and over again to talk about the night, okay? Now, here's the great news about this. The night is actually where God does his best work. The night is where God does his best work. You feel like you're in a night season. You feel like you're not hearing the Lord. He's doing his best work. <laughs> I'm telling you, this will encourage you. Listen to this, Job 33, 14 through 18. Job said, for God does speak now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn them from wrongdoing and keep them from pride. Come on, this should encourage you. Like, you feel like you're prideful? God's talking to you all night about your pride. If you got pride issues, don't worry. He's working on it. Just go to sleep. Take a nap. All right? <laughs> to turn them from the wrongdoings and keep them from pride. To preserve them from the pit, their lives from perishing by the sword. He does all that in the night season. So if this is a black horse, it may just be speaking to that, that God wants to ride into your life in the night season, all right? I heard once a, a pastor talk about his relationship with God because he never heard God speak to him during the day. He only had tons of dreams at night. And he, he asked God about that and said, why, am I, why do I have all these dreams but I don't like, have any prophetic words or feel anything during the day? He said, you're too busy for me during the day. That's what God told him. I the only time I can get your attention is when you're sleeping. <laughs> Come on. I don't remember my dreams, so apparently I listen to the Lord all day long. I'm not, not necessarily. That's not how that works. Anyway, in the night season, come on, to preserve your life from the pit, their lives from perishing by the sword. That's not the only place. Psalm 16, verse 7 says, the way you counsel, speaking to God, and correct me makes me praise you the, all the more. For your whispers in the night give me wisdom, showing me what to do next. Your whispers in the night, the night, the black, this is, this is the horseman. I'm just submitting to you that this is why it's black. You know, why all the different colors? These colors are on purpose, amen? Why is this color, why color black? This is why. Here's the other thing about God. All of his days begin at night. All of God's days begin at night. Read Genesis chapter one carefully. This is what it says. There was evening, then there was morning the first day. And you're like, well, it says there was morning the first day. Well, it says there was evening, there was morning, and he called that the first day. All of his days begin at night. God does his best work in the night season when you don't know he's doing it, and all of his days actually begin at night. So if you feel like you're in the dark with the Lord, congratulations. He's working really, really hard on you. <laughs> Come on, is this encouraging anyone? I believe this is how Christ wants to break forth in your life. This is one of the ways he gets you in the night season. Amen? Come on. That's a good word. Now, why is this rider carrying measuring scales? Like, by the way, what I just did is what I'm going to do for the next 20 minutes. Like, this is all we're doing. Talking about the pictures, showing you in Scripture where I think it backs it up. Are you okay? Like, we're just going to go with it. <laughs> all right. He's carrying measuring scales, right? Now, Many of you know this concept, but God tests our hearts. Amen. God is testing our heart. Not because when God does a test, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. You know, like God doesn't test you to figure out what you're going to do. He's like, oh, my gosh, I don't know 
how they're going to answer this question. <laughs> like, that's not God. He doesn't test you for him. He tests you for you. He tests you so that you know what's in your heart. Amen. So this rider riding in on the night season, the whispers of the night has measuring skills, testing your heart. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. To give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is who Jesus is. OK, Jesus measures stuff. Let me help you. Jesus knows all the numbers. Jesus knows the numbers. People are like, oh, it's not about numbers. Well, Jesus paid attention to them all the time. Yes, he did. I'm, I'm all about the, the numbers. I am 100% about the numbers. Numbers of suicides prevented. Numbers of girls coming out of human trafficking. Numbers of marriages restored. Numbers of depression crushed. Number of people saved from hell. I'm all about the numbers, man. You can hate me for that. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Join the list, okay? I'm going to write a book one day. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be called I've Written Five. I'm going to write another book one day called Seeker-Friendly Jesus because he was extremely seeker-friendly. There wasn't any one seeker he wasn't friendly towards. You know who he was not friendly towards? Those who feel like they didn't need to seek anything. <laughs> yeah. So he knows the numbers. He knows about the numbers. Let me read you Luke 14, 28. He's talking in a parable and he says, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, right? Who doesn't count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. This is a point of stewardship. He knows exactly what's in the bank account. Okay. He knows exactly how much is going on. Not only that, Luke 21, one through four, this is the you know, very popular parable, but Luke 21, one through four says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into their offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Then he said, truly, I tell you, this widow has put in more than all of them. Right. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And there's a deep principle in there. But I'm pointing this out to say he was watching the numbers. He was watching how much each person give. You're like, well, you know, you're like, Caleb, don't you want to be like Jesus? Well, I just know I'm not Jesus. That's why I don't know who gives what. Okay. So I don't look at who gives. I just look at what. You know what I mean? I let Jesus handle the other stuff. But my point is, he knows the numbers. He has the measuring scales in his hands. Amen. So could it be that this horse and rider is talking about Jesus coming in the night season, testing and measuring our hearts? Could it be? I think so. Now. It says a small measure of wheat for a day's pay and three measures of barley, the oil and the wine, right? I'm going to read you a commentary. I'm going to read you out of the footnote of the Passion Translation because I cannot improve upon this, okay? It's just really good. All right, this is my friend Brian. He's coming in December, like I said. But he speaks about this verse, and he says, He, Jesus, who gives us life, now speaks of four commodities that bring life to us. Wheat, barley, oil, and wine. These are from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 8. And these four commodities point us to the promised land of God's blessings. Why? Because the wheat and barley are a part of the Passover feast. You know Passover, where the angel passed over and they celebrate that in, the, in Jewish culture, all that. So the second day of the feast, guess what they would do? They would have the feast of the unleavened bread, which is wheat. Second day. On the third day of the feast, they would actually have a sheaf of barley, 
representing the first grain harvested in the land. So this is the first grain that comes from the land. If it's harvest season, the first crop they get is barley. It's the first fruits. Say first fruits. Are you guys following me? Okay. And they would wave the barley before the Lord on the third day of the feast. Jesus was crucified on Passover. Hello? The wheat, unleavened bread. Jesus with, was without sin. No leaven. Leaven is a picture of sin. Sacrifice for us. His body, our communion. Are you with me? Come on. I, you're starting to think these horsemen talk about Jesus. You're starting to think that with me. Yeah. Okay. He's crucified on Passover. And then on the third day, Jesus, God's first fruit, three measures of barley, was raised up from the grave, waved before the Lord on the third day. And it says a measure of wheat and three measures of barley. Very, very interesting, I think. I don't call that a coincidence. So Brian goes on, he says, to truly feed upon Christ will cost us all we have each day. That's why it says for a day's pay. It's about giving your every day to the Lord. Come on. Isn't that good? And then it says, and these are my comments, don't harm the olive trees producing oil and the vines producing wine. What is oil and wine a picture of, Bible students? Holy Spirit, the Spirit. That's right. It is a biblical recurring picture of the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit, the wine. Do not become drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So these are pictures of the Holy Spirit being allowed to flow freely. He says, do not harm. Okay? Now, John 3.34, I don't have it for you, but John 3.34 says that we have been given the Holy Spirit, or in that point it says you will be given the Holy Spirit, without measure. Say without measure. So the horseman here is told to bring certain measures of wheat and barley, but not to harm the oil and the, the wine. Why? Because they're to measure the wheat and the barley, but the Spirit is to be without measure. Do not harm the oil and the wine. Let it flow. Let it flow. Don't hold it back anymore. Sorry. Couldn't help it. All right. <laughs> Come on. That's the horseman. That's all these pictures wrapped up into one. And this is how Christ wants to unveil himself in us. He wants to ride into our life, even in the night season, even in the times where you don't feel like he's speaking. He's measuring your heart, bringing the truth of Jesus' death into your life and the power of his resurrection through you so that the Holy Spirit can flow freely. Selah. We handle one more horseman. We're halfway there. You okay? <laughs> okay. The fourth horseman. And you're like, I knew it. This is where it gets crazy. Death. The rider's name is death. Yes, it is. We're not going to shy away from that. But I want you to open the ears of your spirit. Okay. I want you to consider that these might be pictures of Christ. I know I'm saying it over and over again, but this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, not Antichrist. Amen. And a lot of people approach the book as if it's big, doom and gloom, antichrist stuff. Antichrist isn't even in the book. I've been saying that for over two and a half months now, and I've been inviting people to correct me on that. Nobody's had the stones to come up to me about that. I'll tell you why, because it's not in the book. Like, please go find it, scour it. It's not in any translation. It's not there. Okay? Why are we approaching this with fear when it's all about the one who is perfect love and drives out fear? It's all about the person of perfect love. 
who casts out fear. And yet, the last book of the Bible we're so afraid of. My purpose is to break off fear of the apocalypse and the book of Revelation and to break through pride of the know-it-all, okay? So here we are. Revelation 6, verse 7 through 8 says, When he broke open the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature call out, Come forth, and behold, I saw a green horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Death's domain followed him. They were given, Death's domain, they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, death, and by the wild beasts. Like, I see, I knew it. It's bad news. It's bad. Well, stick with me. I have some things to submit to you. First of all, a lot of translations say pale green horse. And that's accurate, but it gives off a certain connotation. This is the Greek word for green, luscious grass. Okay, it's not like sickly green horse. That's like you've seen those pictures. Anybody seen those? Like the depiction of this horse is like the like vomit green or whatever. It's nasty. That's not what this word is. All right. It's like a yellowish green. But it's the same word in Mark 6, 39 for let them sit down on the green grass so that I can multiply. the. It's the Greek word for green. It's the Greek word for evergreen, like continually green. Newly green. Okay, like new grass sprouting up off the ground. So I don't want you to think of the off-putting, you know, pale green. And the Hebrew equivalent for this word, just for further evidence, is out of Genesis 1.30. Okay, Genesis 1.30, where it says, uh, I don't have it on the screens, but it talks about every beast of the earth and bird and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. It's, that's the Hebrew equivalent of this Greek word. So we're talking about life-giving green. That's what this is. I know it's been preached, the other thing, because it says pale green, but that's just a connotative definition. A denotative definition, the original understanding of that word is that it's life. Green stands for life. Green is a picture of life. So it's the life source of the animals in Genesis 1.30, right? Grass of the field. It still is for lots of animals today, all that. So this is a rider named Death riding on a horse called Life. We have Death riding on Life. A rider named Death riding on Life. Did you know in order to truly live in God's kingdom, you have to die? Death comes with a rider or life comes with a rider named death. <laughs> death comes riding on life. We have to die with Christ. In fact, the Bible says anyone in Christ has died with Christ already. Are you with me? You okay? I talk about this stuff all the time. I don't mind repeating myself, okay? Gen- uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Past tense. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him, past tense, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. Death came on life. Is this making any sense? Life, the horse, the workhorse called life brought death. His life ended in death and then rose again. And we also need to die with him and be born again. And you already have. The minute you say yes to Jesus, it happens in the spirit. Amen? Come on. This is a, this is a tenet of our faith. It's a really core principle 
of our faith. We believe in flesh-free Christianity around here, all right? <laughs> we believe in it. We do. We believe that you are not in the flesh, Romans 8, 9, if you're in the spirit, if the spirit is in you, Romans 8, verse 9. Fact check me, bro. That's what it says, okay? But death's domain followed him. What's up with this? Death's domain. Why, why if it's really life that comes by a writer named Death, why is death's domain following him? Well, it says four specific things. It says kill with a sword, famine, death, and the wild beasts. All of those matter. Everything in your Bible is there on purpose. Amen? <laughs> it's all that matters, right? So to kill with the sword, to kill with famine, to kill with death, and to kill with wild beasts. So if this is the unveiling of Jesus, then answer me this. What sword does he have? The word of God, the sword of the spirit, right? So the word of, the, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. Hebrews 4.12 says that is what divides between soul and spirit, okay? It's songs, Song of Songs 5.13 says, no one speaks words so anointed as this one talking of Jesus, words that both pierce and heal, words like lilies dripping with myrrh. I love that line. Words like lilies dripping with myrrh. Myrrh is the, uh, the Hebrew word for tears from a tree. It's the word for suffering. Beauty, suffering, life, death. Yeah? So to kill with the sword is to bring the word of God and to kill the old ways, to kill the bad habits, to kill even you when you came into Christ. You died. Amen? If this is about Jesus, let's balance it with the rest of Scripture, what we know of Jesus. Amen? To kill with famine. Now, in the kingdom of God, there's a key to being filled. What is it? To hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Those who hunger, say hunger. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. So what does it mean to kill with famine? It means to be filled with righteousness because you're hungry. Famine is not eating. Come on. Being famished, right? Some of you might be famished right now. I don't know. I haven't eaten dinner, but that's Matthew 5, 6. This is the starving off of old tap appetites and desires that actually have become a death sentence to us. Have you noticed when you said yes to Jesus, you're not a very good sinner anymore? <laughs> you can't sin like you used to. It actually hurts there now. Whereas before, you're like, you can sin to your heart's content. No big deal. But now, because you received Jesus, you said yes. Now you feel horrible about it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody got BC days before Christ? Anybody got those? Yeah. And you used to do a bunch of stuff, but now you can't do it. It hurts your heart. It feels like death. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's trying to kill you with famine. He's trying to starve old appetites. Because you are dead, you don't have a sin nature. It's no longer natural for you to sin. However, you might have a sin habit. You might have an appetite for sin, just like some of y'all have an appetite for things that are not good for you in the natural. You can have an appetite for sugar, but that stuff kills you too. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So to kill with famine is putting to death what is earthly among us. Colossians 3 verse 5. Put to death what is earthly among you. It says because you've died, put to death what is earthly among you. Are you with me? All right, you got to stick with me. I'm not done. It's going to, we're almost there. <laughs> now, it says to kill with death. A lot of translations say uh, pestilence or plague, 
But this is the Greek word for death. Okay, anybody watch some Marvel movies? You know Thanos? Yeah, this is that word, Thanatos. It's where they get Thanos from, okay? Yeah, that's where they got it from, the Bible. <laughs> I marvel all the time in the Lord's presence. <laughs> it's the Greek word Thanatos, okay? This word is used 120 times in the New Testament. It is always used for death. And for some reason, because it seems redundant, kill with death, translators change it to pestilence or plague. But it is not pestilence or plague. It is death. Death by death. Sound familiar? Death by death is accepting the death of Christ as our own death. It, yeah. And it's that we died with him. You understand? It's that he, you joined him on his cross. You don't even have your own cross, bro. I'm going to take your cross away from you. All right? You died with him on his cross. One with him on his cross, spiritually speaking. Amen? You weren't physically there. But when you said yes to Jesus, something happened. Like Dr. Strange opened that portal, and you jumped through the time-space continuum. No? Okay. There's witchcraft in there. Yeah, well, all things are pure to the pure. Titus, the book of Titus says, those who are pure, all things are pure. I can see God in a Marvel movie. I can hear God in a Beyonce song. All right. I need to protect myself from garbage, but the Lord is always speaking. Let me say it to you this way. All truth that exists is from Holy Spirit, but the only way to get into all the truth is by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the only thing that will lead you into all the truth, but all truth is from Holy Spirit. Okay. So just so you're not uncomfortable or whatever. This is not death by death that a lot of churches talk about where you're crucifying your own flesh. Okay. Hashtag not in the Bible. It's not there. Okay. If it were, it would make this not make any sense. Romans 8 verse 3. This verse says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You know what condemned means? It's a death sentence. He gave sin a death sentence in his body. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, indeed. And if you're like, what about the die daily thing? I'll get to you in just a minute because it's relevant to the very next thing. When it says to kill with sword, famine, death, and wild beasts, all right, this is just in time for the holiday season. Some of you are going to love this one. This is great. <laughs> These wild beasts are referenced elsewhere in your Bible. They're in 1 Corinthians 15. It's where Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 31 through 32, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What are you talking about, Paul? I read the book of Acts. I read about your stuff in Ephesus. If there were lions, tigers, and bears, I think they would have added that in there. You know what I'm saying? These are not lions, tigers, and bears. These are people who carry the beast nature. You know what the mark of the beast is? It's the character of the beast. We'll get there eventually. I've been dropping that on you for a while now. It's the Greek word character. Character, character. Thoughts, actions. What do I gain if I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised. 
He says, I die every day. He's saying, I'm putting my life on the line every day. There's no mention in 1 Corinthians 15 about dying to your flesh or crucifying your flesh. We've just taken that straight out of context, you know? And it's like straight out of Compton, but worse, straight out of context, all right? And it's, it's an egregious lie that you need to kill yourself. You need to live daily, not die daily. You're a living sacrifice, Amen. Not a dying sacrifice. So these beasts that Jesus allows to ride into our lives are people who act beastly. Okay, this is just in time for you to eat the roast beast at Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know, what I mean, this is just in time for you to hang out with your in-laws and stuff. You know what I mean? If somebody, <laughs> sort of being funny, sort of not, if somebody is a family member and all that stuff in your life and they're acting beastly, just consider it to be the fourth horseman with death's domain following him. And those people, God is going to use those difficult people to bring Christ forth in you. <laughs> because how many of you know God's plan is difficult people working with you, making you like God. <laughs> Come on. To kill with wild beasts. God uses those who oppose us to bring us into maturity. That's my story. I don't know if it's your story, but I, God uses people that oppose me all the time to bring me into maturity. Amen. Gigi, come on up here. We're going to bring this to a close. These are the four horsemen. These are the four ways that God wants to bring Christ forth in your life. I'm thankful that God has a plan to bring Christ forth in my life. And these are spiritual pictures of how he does it. It's spiritual insight. It's looking into the spirit realm and seeing how God operates. Come on. So he wants to speak to you in the night seasons. Amen. How about you stand with me? We're just going to sing a song to, to close. But he wants to speak to you in the night season. And when he's doing that, he's measuring your heart. He's bringing your heart wisdom. Amen. If you feel like God isn't speaking to you, I hope this encourages you. If you feel like you're in the dark with God, I hope tonight encourages you that he's actually been working really hard. Amen. And all of his best work is done at night. His days begin at night. So a new day is about to dawn for you if you've been in a night season in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. He wants to bring the truth of his life into your life by way of death, by way of starving the old ways, right? By way of using the word of God to cut away the things that are killing you. Amen. Come on. And his death is your death on the cross, death by death. And the wild beasts, the difficult people in your life are there on purpose. Stop praying, Lord, deliver me from them. Get me out of this job. Get them fired. Stop praying that. Say, bring Christ forth in me every time they aggravate me. Use it, Lord. Use these wild beasts. All right? Don't tell them they're wild beasts. That doesn't help. You know what I mean? And don't label people that. That's not permission to label people beasts. But if they act in that way, just trust the Lord to use it. Amen? Come on, just pray with me for a second. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out theRestingPlaceTampa.com.